0: Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and provide for us and sustain us. And uh, we, we lift up uh, Clayton to you with his knee surgery and the recuperation from that. We also lift up Jimmy to you and Sheila. Uh, pray for the days ahead as the doctors are trying to figure out how to get his heart um, back in uh, good, good order. And uh, we pray that you would just help them in all the ways that they need help. And uh, we especially lift up the, the family of uh, Jim and Glenda to you. It's been a really rough year for them. And uh, w- we thank you for what an impact uh, they made with their lives and uh, really uh, lived to the fullest uh, for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of Jesus. And uh, we thank you for having known them uh, as we did. And I just pray comfort uh, for everybody who who knows them and thinks about them. And Father, we uh, pray for our time here together that you'll give us wisdom and insight into Luke and the teaching of our Lord. And uh, that everything we read will help us to be more faithful and fruitful in our deep personal relationship with him. And so we ask all this for his great namesake. Amen. So we left off last week uh, Luke 12, 35. In your notes, that's on page 25. Uh, and we're, we're, we're really right in the middle of this section uh, where Jesus, in the larger section, Jesus is making his way down to Jerusalem. He, he has set his face toward Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9. And now we have uh, all of these teachings, uh, as I say in your outline there, um, that uh, Jesus is teaching the way, his way, on the way down to Jerusalem. And so we're right in the middle of all these teachings. A um, couple of critical things happen. In chapter 11, uh, the people accuse him of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And that sets up this uh, ongoing controversy that's just going to get more heated uh, between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees in these chapters uh, leading down into at the end of chapter 18 when he, uh, when he arrives in Jerusalem and, and all that's going to happen there with that. So we're right in, this, in the middle of this where Jesus has warned his disciples about the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. He did that in chapter uh, 11 and the first part of chapter 12. And then he starts to give some sermons and parables. uh, One about being rich toward God. Well, number one, uh, there in chapter 12, verses 8 through 12, he makes a big point about uh, acknowledging him before people. And we'll talk more about that today. Uh, Then he gives a parable, the rich young fool, or just the rich fool, uh, 12, 13 through 21, where the main point there is, listen, don't lay up treasures just for yourself in this life. You need to be rich toward God. And so as we go, he's going to have more sermons about uh, wealth and how you use your money and so forth. Uh, He amplifies that in the next verses, verses 22 through 34, where he talks about not being anxious, don't worry, uh, the Father is going to um, gonna provide for you. In fact, um, one of the more famous statements, 1231, Jesus says, uh, right? instead of worrying about how you're going to get all these things, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then he immediately says after that, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, sell your possessions and give to the needy and provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there will your heart be also uh, that one statement verse 34 for where your treasure is there will your heart be also jesus is going to continue to uh, explore that idea over the next several chapters and we'll we'll we 'll see the specific ways that he lays that out, um, but he has one more thing that he wants to do before he starts expanding on a lot of these themes that he 's developed and uh, so verse thirty five uh, all the way down through verse forty eight he gives two teachings uh, two parables in a sense uh, short parables about being prepared about looking for the coming of the kingdom. And um, if if you'll allow me, I just want to summarize what he's saying there, because y'all can read those, and there's not a lot that uh, is difficult to understand in that. But in verse 35, he says, uh, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him once he comes and knocks. Uh, Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds uh, awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Look at that. The master will come and serve the servants. Now, uh, I gave you a hand. There's a handout out on the table, uh, the title of which is the Messianic banquet. I'm, I'm not going into that today. Uh, well, we are going to talk about it in part, but that i 've given you to fill out some of the stuff we 're going to be talking about starting today and next week so if you didn 't get one of those, be sure and grab one on the way out. Uh, it gives you uh, Bible references and some more uh, detail about what we 're going to be talking about in terms of this messianic banquet but um, but one of the one of the one of the themes shows up here and and well, let me show you the end of this, and then we'll and then we'll see where this is going. So, if you look down in verse forty, he just goes up. Uh, he continues to emphasize this: be ready, right? Uh, be always looking out for the for the master to return to the house. And so, verse forty, he says, "This you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect." And I think I've talked about this a little bit earlier. Probably the disciples. When they first hear this, they're probably thinking that what Jesus is talking about is that we need to be prepared because at any minute he's going to reveal himself to be the king, right? The Messiah. And when he does that, well, we're going to start the kingdom, right? The kingdom is going to come in power and glory. And that's probably what they're thinking that he means by this, you know, first time they hear it. But as things progress on, it becomes very clear that that's not exactly what he meant by it, right? That this was going to be a teaching not just for the disciples that are first hearing this, but really it becomes a teaching for us, because what the disciples have have not understood yet is that Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be resurrected, he's going to ascend back into heaven, and he is going to remain. Uh, Peter is going to say. Uh, it this way in the book of Acts that the heavens must receive him until, right, he returns in glory. And so what the disciples don't have a clear picture of is that whole framework, right? He's gonna be betrayed, be crucified, be raised from the dead, he's gonna ascend and he's gonna remain in the heavens. Until the end of the age, when he will return to establish the kingdom. And so, this 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 um, this parable is saying more than you know these first disciples would have been able to get their minds around. He he keeps on going with that, right? In verse forty-one, uh, and I love this question. Uh, Peter said, "Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? Right? In other words, are we the ones that's really supposed to be paying attention?" and is or is this for everybody to be paying attention right (laughs) peter in other words uh lord is this something i'm going to get in trouble over a little bit later if i don't pick up on what you're laying down here uh verse 42 and i love it jesus doesn't answer the question (laughs) instead he tells another parable uh so the lord said who then is the faithful and the wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes truly i say to you he will set him over all of his possessions but if that servant says to himself my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the female uh, male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk Uh, Then the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he doesn't know, and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow, that's rough. Not just reprimand him, he's going to slice him into bits and assign him a part with the unfaithful. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will receive a severe beating but the one who did not know and did not deserve a beating will receive a light beating for now here it is for everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand all the more so what is jesus answer to peter yeah no peter this is for everybody but this is especially for y'all right (laughs) peter has been entrusted with more right peter's been given a greater responsibility so for these disciples that are on the inner core jesus gives this parable to say listen you got to pay attention and, and right this parable is very graphic in terms of the uh, ramifications of not being faithful to do what the master has left for you to do right left for the servants to do and that's gonna that's gonna play into um Right as as Jesus takes these ideas and he applies them ultimately to the nation as we're going forward, because as y'all know, the people are by the end they're going to reject Jesus. Uh, The nation, you know, pretty much as a whole, uh, the ones who keep their faithfulness to Jesus only going to be a small number out of the vast numbers of people that came and you know saw him heal, maybe even participated in the healings. Uh, and so all of this is said in the context of uh, Jesus is coming and, and he's going to, um, well, as he says in the next thing, he's not going to be bringing peace, but division. And so he's getting his disciples ready for that. And the important thing, though, is, is that if, you, if you're mine, right, if, you, if I'm the master and you're the servant, you've got to be faithful to the end to do the things that I've given you to do because I'm going to return at a point that you don't even know when I'm going to show up, right? And that's 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 one of the things that's really important, you know. Uh, I often, uh, I I know I tell these stories over and over, but you know, one of the things that um, sometimes we don't take into account is that uh, some of us may see Jesus a lot sooner than the end of the age, right? Uh, I, you know, the guy I was in church with years ago, and uh, he was in his he's mid 80s at this point he and i had a really great relationship kidding with one another and and uh, he said uh, he, he he was all he loved you know eschatology end times revelation all that and and he would always come up to me and say stacy do you think we're living at the in the last days and i said yeah brother we are but we've been in the last days ever since Peter peach preached on the day of pentecost right because <laughs> he starts in these last days so we've been in the last days and he'd say, well, Stacy, but but Stacy, do you think we're going to see the Lord soon? And I'd say, brother, you're going to see him a lot sooner than I am. <laughs> I can guarantee you that <laughs> one way or another. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so all, all of these stories emphasize, that, you know, this very idea that uh, we want to be faithful to the end, right? We don't give up. We we want to do what the master has given us to do. And so those Uh, parables emphasize that now look at verse 49 1249. this is where jesus really brings it to a head so that the disciples can understand what's about to happen here he says listen i i I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled verse 50 i have a baptism to be baptized baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He he, he, peepers, he puts everybody in the list, right? Uh, so the the point that he's making here is that Jesus is going to be the dividing line, right? Um, And if I could say it this way, and then I'll I'll tell you why I'm saying this way as we go forward. And the dividing line is going to be between the people who have given their allegiance to Jesus and those who haven't. And uh, I, I want to use that word very specifically because as we're going to see going forward, Jesus is going to make it very clear that what he's looking for are people who don't just say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. But as he's already emphasized, he's looking for disciples who are going to actually do what he teaches them to do. That's what marks out a disciple, somebody who does what Jesus says, right? So here uh, he, he he lays out this very stern warning that he's come to bring division. Also, notice he says that I've come to cast fire on the earth. Fire is often used as a symbol for judgment, Right going back from the prophets in the old testament all the way through the book of revelation and then he talks about his baptism here it can, it, it, it can but that's not what it does here right uh that's yeah he doesn't give that indication it's like uh, 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 the way i like to paraphrase this is listen i came here I'm, we're about to burn everything to the ground and we're going to find out where everybody stands you're either with me or you're against me there ain't, that, that's going to divide families in two. that's going to divide everybody in 2 y'all need to get and that's if you think about it that's exactly what's going to happen right the whole nation of israel is going to be divided over this issue of jesus i mean even into the book of acts uh and 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 there it uh the fire is a symbol of purification and of what's happening right as the early christians the earlier followers of jesus um start to take over the nation in a sense right the the religious leaders get together and say what are we going to do with these people right if they have their way oh lord you know we're going to lose all power and control and who knows what's going to happen with this? So very important warning uh, in the in the middle of all this, um, and his baptism there. Baptism, um, baptism is is often used to talk about you know not just in the, you know the way we think of it as. Uh, you know water baptism you know jesus being baptized earlier but even in the ancient world when you talk about somebody being baptized it was it was the idea of them being completely submerged in something right so being completely overwhelmed by something uh, and so here jesus talks about what's coming as a baptism and what we know is is that when the cross comes he's going to be uh completely overwhelmed immersed in you know the the judgmental redemptive work of god on the cross and as we get closer and closer to that notice notice what he says about it Uh, he says how great is my distress until all that is accomplished right so as jesus thinks about what they're headed toward this thing that reality gives him great anxiety and we'll talk about that more when we get on over uh particularly to the garden of gethsemane and y'all know what happens there right he he's up there and he's in such anguish he's sweating drops of blood uh, and so we'll 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 see what all that means when we get over there. But all of this is looking forward to um, his coming crucifixion, how that's going to divide everything out. Uh, his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, his claims to be the Messiah. But even more than that, it has ramifications for the end of the age and the judgment that is to come. And so, as I said last week, in a, in a lot of these parables and a lot of these teachings in this middle section, uh, there is this uh, kind of seed. Uh this is related not just to now, but also the judgment to come at the end of the age. Uh and you and you you can see that in verse fifty-four. He um he um talk he talks about all this in the context of knowing the the, the times. So verse fifty-four, he says, uh, so he also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say uh, there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Right? In other words, y'all are listen. What's happening right now? And if you think about it this way, it really does, you know emphasize the right things what's happening with jesus right here at this period and the you know at the time that it's happening in this generation everything in the old testament has been working toward those days right all the promises everything that god had said uh about the redemption of israel about the redemption of the nations all the everything that had been set in motion it's literally now being focused in the person and the works of jesus Right? He's, he's doing everything possible to show that he is who he claims to be, right? He is the Messiah. He is the king, the descendant of David, that is heir to the Davidic throne, king over Israel, but not just king over Israel, ultimately king over all the nations, right? He is the heir of the Abrahamic promises that one day through one of the descendants of Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Uh, he's he's showing his power he's showing his authority he's showing his grace he's showing his mercy right it's it's in other words it's not that hard to see who he is right and yet the people look at it and they can't discern what's actually going on here right this is the fulfillment of all things this is everything they've been hoping toward and yet jesus says man y'all can look up and you can figure out when it's going to rain but you can't figure out that the kingdom is upon you right that's the point because as he just said earlier in chapter 12, uh, 11, that if I, if I do these works by the finger of God, that, mean the, that means the kingdom has come upon you, right? Giving clear evidence of what's happening here. So um, Jesus is not, he's not pulling any punches here. Uh, verses 57 through 59, He, uh, this is, again, y- y'all got to understand what's happening here. He says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your ac- accuser before the magistrate, make, uh, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the very last penny. So here he is, right? Jesus is the one that's at, that's at odds with the people, right? You better get right with me before I pull you before the judge. Right. And the judge, right. They throw you into prison. Then it's going to be up to you to pay everything that you owe down to the very last penny. Right. So very, very powerful uh, statement, uh, you know, in the context of the people as they're, you know, they're they're moving, uh, particularly the leaders. They're they're in the cycle of rejecting him and not taking him at face value. So really some important things. And again, he's going to continue to emphasize these as we go forward. Um and, and by the way, let me just say that that you you, you uh, Peter, when he raises the question in chapter twelve forty one, Peter said, "Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all?" One of the things that we see in this journey chapter is uh, the fulfillment of. And let me let me let me take you back to something. If you look back to where Jesus told the parable of the uh, soils, if you look back to chapter eight, all the way back to that. Jesus has only told a handful of, of parables so far. But he said something in chapter 8 that's that's really significant in this larger context. Chapter 8, verse 9. This is right after he told the, the parable of the, of the four soils, right? Sower went out to sow, and the seed fell among, right? The rocks and the thorns and the different things. But then verse 9. The disciples want to know what it means. And so it says, uh, now when his disciples ask him what this parable meant, verse 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Right, you see that? So the disciples, right, the, the ones that are closest to Jesus, the ones that have, um, right, they're giving his tr- their trust to him, like the 12, like the 72 we've already seen, right? Those disciples that, are, um, that have already made their commitment to Jesus, right? To them, He's revealing the secrets of the kingdom. And that's one of the things that we're going to see in this inner, in this inner thing. When He's speaking to the disciples, you see Him being far more um, patient, merciful, kind, right? But to the people that have already rejected Him, like the scribes and the Pharisees, man, He gives it to them with both barrels, no questions asked right and this is a this is a this is a tactic that he uses all throughout the gospels and that is with 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 people that are on the fringes of society right the people that have already been humbled by their circumstances like the woman at the well right in john 4 uh like these disciples some white right peter at least has the humility to know that Man, I'm in the presence of somebody I'm not worthy to be in the presence of, right? And so we've already seen things like that. The woman that comes up and she just tries to touch the hem of his garment and does it, right? So people that are on the fringes, Jesus shows them nothing but mercy and grace in that because that's what they need to draw them into the kingdom. All the other people have cast them out. Jesus invites them in. But, right, if you're one of the... Those are the people who know they're sick, right? When Jesus says, I have not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sick, right? Those people are easy to deal with. If you know you got something wrong with you, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. But if you think you're righteous, the only way to break through that, that, that veneer and that facade and that wall of righteousness is to tear that wall down. And that's what Jesus does, right? Anytime He runs into these people... They think they've got him, and he pushes them further than they are willing to go. Right? Takes them into hole. Boy, we're about to see that in spades here. Uh, I, I love these episodes where they're trying to trick Jesus and get him caught and trapped, and you know, does it never goes well for you. Never goes well for them. So here, the, the, uh, these these warnings and the things that he's teaching to to the disciples, he's using them to open. Uh, the secrets of the kingdom but for everybody else he speaks in parables and in mysteries and so notice as you're in these you know chapter 9 through chapter 18 always be aware of uh, Luke will tell you whether or not he was talking to the disciples or to the crowds so always make note of that and notice the different ways that Jesus addresses both of those audiences in that Uh, you can see that in the very next episode uh, chapter 13 verse 1 this is just coming generally Uh, from the crowds there it says verse 13 one there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices Uh, we're not sure exactly what that is in reference to there are a couple of times where Pilate had killed people um, you know in the temple precinct on the way and whatnot Pilate was a brutal ruler if you haven't read anything on Pilate outside of the bible you should read up on him um he was he's a uh, just a disastrous individual Uh, he was failed politician um you know one of these guys that never did anything right so he got assigned to the backwaters you know to rule that he's on his last leg with the imperium and with caesar and when he was sent to judea i was like Pilate. one more slip up i'm killing you Replacing you with somebody else, so you know he, he's just uh, he's just a disastrous fella uh, historically, uh, very brutal too. Here he he's killed these Galileans and mingling with his uh, with their sacrifices. Um, verse verse two, and so Jesus answered them, and and apparently you know they're just telling them uh, telling him about this, and apparently they want to know well well what do you think about this? Did those Galileans do something to deserve that? To have that happen? And you can see that in the response, verse 2. So he answered them and he said, uh, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? And, and, and by the way, uh, probably this is happening closer to Jerusalem. He, he may even This may be even a, a narrative that comes after he has arrived in Jerusalem. Because you remember, Luke is not doing everything in a strict chronological order. And so he's, he's pulling some of these out and putting them a little bit earlier. Uh, but the point would be uh, the the people that are in the south of the country, they looked on the Galileans as kind of the backwoods hicks, right? That were just a, maybe a step above the Samaritans, right? Um, so here Jesus says, do you think that those who were killed were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Uh, verse 3, no, I, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Right? So their point is, hey, did they get this? Because they're worse sinners than everybody else? And Jesus is like, no. Doesn't have anything to do with it. But I'm going to tell you what, you better, you, you better repent. Right? You, you got to change the way everything that you're thinking about me. Right? That's what he's saying there. You got to change your mind completely, totally about me here. And then he, he ups it. Verse 4. Uh, Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? We don't know exactly what that's in reference to either. Uh, but a, a tower fell in Siloam. Uh, killed that, uh, Siloam is just, uh, it's, it, it's in the temple precincts. Uh, and I th- if I remember right, it's just up north. So some people have thought this was probably a tower. You know, we, we would probably think of it as like scaffolding where they were building and then the whole thing fell. Uh, so Jesus says, the 18 whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than the, all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All right, so it, uh, Jesus uses these two disasters to say uh, these people didn't deserve what happened to them. Right. One, because they were worse sinners. But that's what's going to happen to everybody if they don't repent. Right? That's what's going to happen to everybody. So you've got to change the way you're thinking about me. And, and then verses 6 through 9, this is, this is really interesting that Luke puts this here. And I have no doubt that uh, these things like this are because of Paul's influence on Luke. Uh, verse 6, he said, So he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. This is that's interesting for a number of different reasons. Verse seven. Let me notice the vine dresser comes back for three years. See that. And as you all know, Jesus ministry is right around three years. Right. Somewhere in through there. Um, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down why should it use up the ground but he answered him and said sir sir no leave it alone this year also until i dig around it and put out manure then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not then you can cut it down right Uh, probably this this parable is in reference to the nation right israel as they're rejecting jesus and the idea here is you know You keep on rejecting, you keep on rejecting, but I'll tell you what, one more chance. We're going to give you one more year, right? So here, you know, the idea of mercy, the idea of long-suffering, if we cut all y'all out right now, we'll be totally justified to do that because you're not producing fruit, but just a little while longer, right? Just a little while longer. And I I find that very interesting because, uh, as y'all know, when we get into the book of Acts, many of the people that had rejected jesus during his earthly ministry they actually become believers after the resurrection you know some some glaring examples are, are james jesus half brother right james didn't believe that jesus was the messiah until after the resurrection and jesus specifically went to james right first corinthians 15 paul tells us jesus specifically went to james after the resurrection and appeared to him right hey james Got some things we need to talk about. Boy, how do you, wouldn't you like to be in that house that afternoon to hear that kind of thing? Many of the Pharisees, by the time you get to the book of Acts, many of the Pharisees became believers. And and, and that group uh, probably became uh, what, what Paul refers to as the Judaizers. By the time we get into the uh, like the letter to the Galatians and some of the problems that happened there. So many of these people that had rejected Jesus during his earthly ministry, they, they come to faith a little bit later. And so here, um, you know, this parable illustrates, you know, we, we could cut you all off now, but we're going to give you another chance, and one more chance to get this right. And also, um, what's going to happen later when we get to the book of Acts next year is particularly when Peter and the other apostles are out preaching in, um, in, in the early days, when Peter and John are still in the temple, One of the things that that Peter makes a note of is, yeah, y'all have rejected your Messiah and and troubling times are going to come. But in the end, the Lord is going to redeem his people because he promised it to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. So the idea that even though Israel is going to go into a time of judgment, Jesus is going to get to that here in a little while, uh, into a time of judgment, that's not the end. Right? There's, there's still hope that, that the Lord doesn't give up on them entirely. And so we'll, we'll talk about that when we get over to all those passages. Because one of the things that, that Luke, and again, I think this is because of Paul's influence, uh, Luke emphasizes that even though Israel rejected Jesus, you know, wholesale, the, the nation as a whole rejected him, that's not the end of the story for national ethnic Israel. The Lord still has purposes and plans for them. Uh, in the days ahead particularly in the end times and so we'll we'll see Luke give us little nuggets that that will be uh that will come to fruit in the book of Acts when we get into the preaching of Peter and and the rest of them in there Uh, any questions or comments on any of that now today y'all as you can see I'm talking fast and y'all are listening fast right we're we're gonna as I always say we need to probably be through with this book before rapture so um (laughs) Any, any questions or comments on any of that? Uh, all right, uh, verse ten. Uh, you, you have another uh, episode here, thirteen, uh, chapter thirteen, verse ten. This is uh, this is uh, an, another one of the big controversies that shows up. It's on the Sabbath uh, here in chapter thirteen, and then when we get to chapter fourteen, we've got two more of these uh, Sabbath controversies, and these are going to be the last ones that um bring everything to a head with jesus and the leaders and here i'm just gonna i'm just gonna uh, summarize this because we've been through this before um and it it, and it's also interesting that notice this comes right after this parable about you know let's give that fig tree one more year to figure out Uh, one of the things that luke specifically does is he he arranges this controversy with jesus with the, with the leaders around the Sabbath controversy, right? And we had that back in chapter 4, we had one in chapter 6, we've got one here in chapter 13, and then we're going to have the last one in chapter 14. That's the last big controversy they have on the Sabbath. And then Jesus is going to tell uh, a lot of parables about that. And the significance of that is, is that these Sabbath controversies really uh, highlight the fact that Jesus is clearly teaching the people what God desires and yet they continually reject him right they reject what he says in the first one in chapter 4 they reject him again in chapter 6 now they're rejecting him here in chapter 13 and then they're going to reject what he says in chapter 14 so these sabbath controversies are, are, are important in the larger structure of Luke because he's showing that despite Jesus repeating these things over and over and over and over and over, they just can't get this one simple thing. Just this one thing that he's trying to teach him, right? And so you you see it, verse 10, it says, Now he was teaching uh, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said uh, to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability or from your infirmity, from your weakness. Verse 13, And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You just want to punch that dude right in the teeth, right? Uh, I mean, it's it's just completely unbelievable. But but here's the thing. And, And let me say that what I'm about to say is not true It's not only true for what's happening in the first century, but this has happened all throughout church history. And it's this simple idea right here it's the the conflict between Jesus' way and tradition and culture. The conflict between the way of Jesus and the conflict between tradition and culture. And by the way, tradition and culture are completely interrelated, right? You can't separate one apart from the other uh what was tradition 10 years ago is now part of our culture right it's produced our culture and then what's happening today right three years from now it's going to be the tradition (laughs) right that defines reality i I was listening to a uh a story years ago about a a kid down in australia who had a learning disability and church never really clicked with him like he couldn't follow the sermons he couldn't do anything so he went out to the beaches and on sunday in australia it's a big thing for people to go and water ski at the lakes and whatnot so he said you know what i'm gonna get my friends together we're gonna go down we're gonna water ski on sundays but before we water ski uh i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna, uh i'm gonna read a psalm and i'm gonna ask if anybody's got any prayer request right and then we're gonna pray and then we're gonna go water ski uh, so he he does that the first week. He said uh, so I came back the, the second week and, I, and he said I said uh, as it is now our tradition <laughs> So they only did it once now it's become a tradition. That that story is fantastic. That that group turned into one of the fastest growing churches in Australia because the second week he said, Okay, now it's it's our tradition to for me to read a psalm and then ask for prayer so he read the psalm and he was getting ready uh to ask for prayer and before he did uh one of the people that he prayed for the week before said, wait a minute shouldn't we get the answers to the prayers that we prayed last week and he was like well i didn't think of that so he said yeah he said, well you prayed that i'd get a job last week the lord gave me a job over the week and another person prayed for healing so my mother-in-law yeah so anyway the, uh church exploded And what they did, they got together, they (laughs) did a psalm, and then it turned into a reading from the Bible. He'd give a short sermon. And by the way, this guy had a learning disability, right? uh, He became the pastor of this church, had thousands of people coming. Uh, Incredible, right? But that one thing established the tradition, right? (laughs) So traditions can be good things, but more often than not, especially with the Pharisees, they were letting their, their tradition, which was their interpretation of the law, override, right, the larger reality of what's going on, and particularly letting Jesus interpret the reality of the law for him. So notice what happens. I mean, we all know this from common sense. Uh, Verse 15, uh, Then the Lord answered him, he said, You hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to to, to water it? So ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And he said these things, all his... Oh, ooh, when I look at this, we got a new word here. And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So now all of a sudden, we just don't have the scribes and the Pharisees anymore. Now... They're his adversaries, right? The people that have stood against him. These are the people that back in chapter, where was it? Chapter 11, verses 53 and 54. These are the scribes and Pharisees that are beginning to press him hard and provoke him, laying in wait that they might catch him in something he might say, right? Now there is adversaries. Uh, There's another great figure in the Bible that one of his title is the adversary, right? So we don't have to go too far to figure out what's going on here right? the divine uh, the dividing line you're either with jesus or you're his adversary you are against him right and and just the way he answers though right he he uh gives this answer that uh, the rabbis call from the lesser to the greater right if you take care of your donkey or your ox well shouldn't i take care of this woman who's a daughter of abraham what's more important can you get than that right and again, you hypocrites right this is This is ridiculous. Let should even bring that up uh, so here uh, controversy on the sabbath and and the basic question is, should we heal on the Sabbath? Jesus earlier had said, "Well, let me ask you, is it better to do good or to do harm on the sabbath which Which one should we do?" Right? He let them answer that. Here he comes back again, right, and they 're just not getting it they 're not getting this very basic idea that God wants to do good and not harm. If they can't get that, then how are they going to get anything else that Jesus teaches, right? So very clearly on these very simple things, he's showing them that y'all don't get what I'm laying down here. You just It's not coming together for you. Now, verse 18, he, he tells a couple of parables, and these parables are, are often called parables of reversal. Uh, verse 18, he says, Now, uh, therefore... What is the kingdom of God like? Now they all know these parables. And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Right? Uh, so here, what we're going to see is, you know, as Jesus teaches, um, people have a complete misunderstanding about the nature, the nature of him as the king, as the Messiah, but also about the nature of the kingdom. And we're going to see this even with the disciples. They're expecting the kingdom to show up all of a sudden in power and glory. And in fact, that's going to show up here in the next couple of chapters. Uh, We're going to have another episode uh, about the kingdom. And Jesus is going to tell them, listen, the the kingdom is not going to show up with signs and wonders and things that can be observed. And this is why, because the kingdom is already among you. And you can't see it. Right. And here with this parable, what we get is, is that what Jesus is doing, it's like a it's like the seed of the kingdom. Right. It's like a mustard seed. Now I don't know if you all have ever seen mustard seeds before, but they are super tiny. Right. One of the smallest uh, seeds. And here uh, there are a couple of different types of mustard plants that grew uh, in this in, in this area in the first century. But all of them grew to be some of the largest trees that you would have in your garden some of them could grow 15 20 feet tall but the but the really interesting thing and and notice that's what jesus says here uh that you plant that seed and even though right in matthew says even though it's the smallest among the seeds when it grows up it becomes a great tree and he adds this in uh it grew and became a great tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches in other words it's something where um people can find refuge is the idea there right the birds represent the different people that are going to come in uh to the kingdom this is very similar if y'all remember uh this is very similar to um daniel 4 where nebuchadnezzar has a dream and in his dream his kingdom is symbolized by a great tree that grew up and many of the birds came and nested in its branches and then his tree was cut down y'all remember that in the dream and he calls Daniel in to interpret the dream, and Daniel says, "Oh lord i know i don 't want to interpret this dream it 's terrible. What does it mean like, well nebuchadnezzar you 're the tree, and this is the kingdom, and you 're about to be cut down right and Nebuchadnezzar's is like, Oh man, that doesn 't sound good <laughs> right? uh, but anyways, a very similar image to what happens there. A uh, tree is often used uh, in in the Old Testament of um, Uh, talking about protection and you know in under the shade of the tree uh, all different kind of things there but the idea here the 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 main thing that jesus is getting across in this in this one parable at least part of it is uh, how long does it take a mustard tree to grow takes a while right in other words it's not going to be boom and the tree is here we're going to plant the seed and then it's going to grow right In other words, the kingdom is going to come and it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, right? Uh, You and I are part of that. We're part of that kingdom that's been growing since the first century with Jesus' teaching, right? Uh, Ultimately, one day it's going to come and it's going to take over everything. We'll we'll see him talk about that a little bit later. He gives a, a second parable, verse 20 there. So he said again, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened." And there's the idea it's going to take over everything, right? That when the kingdom comes, it's, it's almost imperceptible. It's like leaven, yeast that you go and you put in the flour. But you just take a little bit of yeast and you mix it into the flour, well, then how much of the bread then has the yeast in it, right? Everything, right? It's like, uh, there was a, f- one of the funniest things I saw, uh, going around when, when COVID first broke out, you know, and, uh, you know, in the first year, everybody, you know, everybody divided over what's up and what's down and what's real and what's not. There was a little cartoon that went around in this, or it was a, a little video. And the guy, guy was saying, okay, uh, let me give you this illustration covid is a lot like glitter right so little timmy brings glitter to class to play with how many kids in the classroom are going to wind up with glitter right everybody right (laughs) so here here this idea of leaven is right when the kingdom comes it starts really small but one day it's going to permeate everything it's inescapable several several of the the parables that jesus is about to tell um, uh the parable of the great wedding feast that comes in chapter 14 um then the parable of the great, great banquet one of the one of the one of the themes that runs through those parables as we get into those next week probably is the kingdom is coming and it is not slowing down it's not stopping and just because you're not part of it doesn't mean it isn't going to be reality right and so jesus is warning the people about this right the coming of the kingdom is not contingent on a, whether you believe in me or not. It's coming whether you believe in me or not, right? And so all these ideas are, you know, kind of under, uh, under the surface of many of these parables. And so we'll keep on following Jesus as he uh, talks about this and amplifies it as we go forward. Now, any questions or, or comments on that section there? Man, I'm actually going to get to where I wanted to get to today, I think, and that's Y'all mark that day. You need to mark, write the date down. This never happens, right? I mean, it, it's, it's more rare for a comet to hit the earth and for me to get to where I was intended to go on any uh, occasional day. Uh, anybody, any questions or, or comments on that? All right, uh, the, the next thing, verse 22, 13, 22. It says, Now he went on his way through the towns and the villages, teaching, journeying toward, this, uh, journeying toward Jerusalem, right? So Luke, uh, again, reminds us that this is... On the travel down to Jerusalem where everything's going to come together. And verse 23, it says, Now someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Right? So somebody's been picking up on what Jesus is saying. Cause everything that he's saying, it, boy, it sounds like it's, it, it sounds like it's hard to get into the kingdom, Jesus, right? So somebody's picking up on it. And so, and I'm just going to tell you that the, the answer that Jesus gives doesn't help a whole lot. Uh, verse 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Right Now, underline that. I do not know where you come from 26 then you will begin to say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets but he will say listen I i tell you i don't know where you come from depart from me all you workers of evil verse 28 now in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see abraham and isaac and jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of god but you yourselves are cast out Verse 29, and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south, and they will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Right? Again, another parable of reversal, right? Now, his point is this, right? Now, and, and the key is in verse 26. First of all, uh, time comes where the door is shut. Right, where the window of opportunity is shut and um, they still want, are trying to get in, open up to us. But then verse 26, notice it says, Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he'll say, now notice what he says, I don't know where you're coming from. In other words, I don't know who you are. Now this is, now this is the really important point. We're going to get into some parables a little bit later where Jesus emphasizes the fact and hear me real clear on this because I want to be careful how I say it. It, it. It's not important that people know who Jesus is. It's important that Jesus knows who you are. Right? And the only way you get to know for Jesus to get to know you, right, is to be with him. Right? And so again, it's this idea of you're either with me or you're against me. Just being around Jesus is not enough. Right? And and I boy, listen, I see this all the time. People who go to church and they think just by being around Christianity that that's enough. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, didn't I go to church every Sunday and didn't I do this and didn't I do that? I don't know who you are, right? So here, very strong warning. And, and again, Jesus uh, emphasizes this by enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and, it will, and they will not be able. His point is, yes, th- it is hard. It is hard to get in the kingdom, but you, you can do it. You just got to go through the narrow door, and here I would suggest that the narrow door is jesus he 's the only way to get in the kingdom right because it 's all about him knowing who you are right? there is a there is a uh, you know there's a, a joke that went around for years and years, and you can put whoever president you want in here i 'm not going to name any names because no matter who I say it 's going to make somebody mad just by the name of that person citizen but you know it's the joke of somebody went to the white house and wanted to see the president and uh they wouldn't let him in He said but, but, but wait a minute i'm childhood friends i know whoever the president is right so they go to the president and says uh, hey so and so's out there uh, i want to see the president and uh the guy comes back and says well you may know him but he does not know you <laughs> right and that's the idea here uh um you the important thing is to be known by jesus right to be part of his disciples to be people that he knows by name to be part of you know the people that he's called his little flock just a little bit earlier right uh to be part of the ones that he calls friends right so here jesus is saying uh listen don't worry about how many people are going to be saved just make sure that you're part of the kingdom Right? Make sure that you're part of the ones that's going to be sitting there in the kingdom. Now, let me just say, the handout I gave you on the Messianic banquet, y'all look at that this week because it talks about, uh, part of what's going on here. Because notice, uh, Jesus puts the kingdom in terms of a great banquet, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there. The people from the north, uh, uh, from the east, the west, the north, and the south, they're going to recline at, at the table. In the kingdom of God, right? Earlier, the faithful servants, when the master returns, he's going to come in, all right? And those who have been faithful, they're going through our great feast. And the master is actually going to serve his servants, right? That's all images of this messianic banquet. Uh, in that handout I gave you, there's a reference to Isaiah 25, and I don't remember the exact verses. Go read that for next week because that is one of the primary images that Jesus is drawing on in these parables we're going to be getting into into chapter 14 and they all have to do with the kingdom being represented as this great feast a great banquet a great festival and I'll talk more about that next week as we go now just in a couple of minutes let me let me read this end here because this will end chapter 13 we'll be ready for chapter 14 next week and there's uh y'all can easily understand what's going on here so verse 31 of 1331 it says now at that very hour some of the Pharisees came and said to him, uh, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, You go and you tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, but the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then he has a lament from Jerusalem. Again, famous words from Jesus. "O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. There's the important statement. You were not willing. Verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But this, uh, this very clearly Jesus is moving closer to Jerusalem. Uh, the idea that he says there about the three days there, right? Today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Uh, there's a lot of debate that he probably doesn't mean that literally here, but he's talking about the idea that I've got work to do, and also, I, I had not, you know, I had not thought about this. If you look up him using the term third day, uh, he he does use it literally, but uh, often more than not, he talks about the third day being the day when all of his work is completed, so he's going to be resurrected on the third day, and in that resurrection, right, Everything that he had come to do is going to be fulfilled in a sense. And so here, the idea of the things happening on the third day, uh, I think, are are meant to more uh, often than not figuratively point us to this work that he's been doing. And then it's going to be accomplished, you know, literally on that third day after his crucifixion and whatnot. But here, uh, here, the main point is this. And I love this. Um, He calls Herod a fox. Right, Herod's going to try to kill him. And he calls him a fox. In the first century, uh, that, that term was often used to talk about somebody who was a deceiver or a destroyer, right? Because that's what foxes do. They'll come in and grab your shoes if they're on the front. They'll go out and gnaw them up, right? So here, and you remember, Herod has already had John the Baptist killed, uh, trying to thwart the will of God and whatnot. So here, uh, Herod, he doesn't know it, but he's trying to thwart the will of God and uh, have jesus killed and jesus answers i'm gonna do what i want to do he, he can't do nothing to me right i gotta go heal tomorrow and the next day we're gonna finish this up on the third day uh so you go tell him he can plan whatever he wants to but it ain't gonna happen right <laughs> you're not gonna get it in on me and then you have the lament for uh jerusalem which is going to be critical because uh you know that's the very thing that we're working toward and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk some more about Jerusalem next week and, this, and the significance of that, particularly as he talks about it here being the place where all the prophets have been killed. All right, y'all, well, let, me, let me go ahead and pray for us a little bit over. If you've got any questions, I'll stick around and talk with anybody that wants to after we finish up. But let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll close out the hour. Father, again, we thank you for all the ways you bless us and provide for us. And uh, we continue to put all of our prayer requests before you. And I uh, pray that you'd, you'd help us all in the ways we need help. And again, we pray for Jimmy and Clayton as they are uh, uh, dealing with physical uh, issues and also the emotional and spiritual issues that go along with that. So uh, we pray that you'd work in their uh, situation powerfully. And uh, we, I pray that everything we do here together will help us to get a better grasp on the reality uh, of you and your kingdom and this incredible uh, eternal Work that you've called all of us up and into uh, that is so so easy to get distracted from what's actually going on with all the worries and the anxieties of the world around us. But we know that you're working everything together towards your good purposes. The Lord Jesus is moving everything along by his powerful word. He now has all authority in, in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that escapes his oversight, and we thank you for that comfort uh, because we know that we are living in the midst of a twisted and dark generation, and yet we are here as lights and as salt to uh, give people a glimpse of Jesus and the kingdom to come. So I pray that uh, you would make us worthy of that high calling and that everything we do here will prepare us uh, so that we can give an answer to the hope that we have within us. And we ask all these things for Jesus' great and powerful name's sake. Amen. Thanks a lot, y'all. See y'all.